Welcome to Rash Thoughts, a podcast about life and all its wonderful challenges. Get ready to change the way you think about yourself and learn why the world needs you. Dean Rash will share his life, his thoughts, and his vision for making our world better for future generations. Now, here is your host, Dean Rash. Welcome. Welcome. I'm glad you could join me today. It's another episode of Rash Thoughts. As you know by now, my name is Dean Rash, and these are my thoughts. Each week, I like to share with you something interesting, something unique, some kind of thought that might provoke you to take another step in your life and and maybe motivate you to be uh, more involved in your community, take action on something that uh, you believe strongly in, whatever that might be. Hopefully, that's something that I can accomplish with you with these weekly conversations. The topic I'm going to talk about today, I decided that I'm going to open up about my past and share with you some of the stories uh, of some of the events and situations that I've gone through in my life. As some of you know, uh, I've shared it a little bit, just touched on it, but as some of you know, uh, back at the age of 19, I was diagnosed with a very significant illness. I was diagnosed with acute melogenous leukemia. Now, Back in 1987, when this diagnosis happened, it was a very interesting time in our lives. We had the AIDS epidemic that was prevalent, so our blood supply in this country was not, still was not as clean as they would like it to be. I remember my doctors telling me that they were 97% certain that the blood that I was going to receive would not have HIV in it. That is a good number, but not a very comforting number for somebody who is leukemic and needs a lot of blood products. Now, the story I'm going to talk about today really is a story that affected me quite a bit, actually, because it was the first time that I felt sick. It was the first time I really felt different. And I had already gone through two rounds of chemotherapy at the hospital in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And I had gotten into remission, and I had to make a decision. And that decision was to have a bone marrow transplant or not to have a bone marrow transplant. Now, the decision was not an easy one because, unfortunately, a bone marrow transplant for some insurance companies back then was still considered experimental, and the survival rate uh, to live two years was only about 25%. Um, and, and so after that point of two years, they really didn't have a good number because the longer survivors were only 9 or 10 years out. So it was, it was, a, very, it was a very complicated, very difficult, very emotional decision to make. But one of the processes that I had to go through uh, in making that decision, or when I decided, actually, I should say, when I decided to move on with it, was I had to go to the University of Minnesota, which is where the hospital was that was doing the bone marrow transplant. And I had to have a four-day physical done. So during this physical, they tested everything. They tested and measured every organ in my body, and they tested and measured things I didn't know that they could test and measure for. Now... One of the things that they also did was they sent us to the dentist at the University of Minnesota. Now, of course, they've got a dental program there, and there's students in that. But part of the reason for the dental, pro- the, the dental test was in the event that I started the bone marrow transplant, I was not able to have any kind of dental work done for anywhere from six months to a year, give or take, depending on how, I, how successful I was. Because during dental work, there's a lot of bacteria that's released in your mouth that can get into your system 
And a bone marrow transplant really compromises your immune system to the point that you have a real hard time fighting off any kind of infections or diseases. And those types of situations could actually be life-threatening for us. So, so I went to the dentist. That was the thing I had to do that day. Now, I should back up a little bit because I want to explain to you how I dressed when I was in the hospital. Um, it was pretty unique, I guess, to say the least. I always wanted to be comfortable, but I always had so much poking and prodding going on that my outfit that I wore typically was a pair of boxer shorts. And if I had to leave my room, I wore a t-shirt. Now, the t-shirts were a little complicated to wear because I had tubes that hung out of my chest. It was called a double lumen Hickman catheter. It hung out about 17 inches or so, and there was two lines on it or two different tubes that came out. And it came out just on my, on my right side of my chest. And the purpose for that was to hook up any IVs that I might need. <clears throat> so sometimes wearing a t-shirt could be a little complicated, especially when I was hospitalized with all those tubes. But my typical outfit when I left the room was a pair of boxer shorts. I wore the t-shirt. I had a hospital robe on, which are very, very fancy if you haven't had one before. And a pair of the hospital slippers because I didn't own a pair of my own. I'm not a slipper person. Um, and I just, I decided that I was just going to wear the hospital slippers. So the orderly came to get me and put me in a wheelchair and wheeled me over to the dental clinic, which was in a different building, but still connected through hallways, tunnels, and things like that. Now, when I got to the, the dental office, the orderly asked if I was okay and did they want me to did they want me to wait or did they want to wait for me or do I want them to wait for me so that they could take me back? And I thought, no, you know, I can figure this out. So I stayed in the, I stayed in the dental office and the orderly left. Now, the one thing I did forget to add is I had to wear a mask. Um, and it was not a very attractive mask. It was a very thick white foam. I'd had an orange filter on the front of it that kind of looked like a pig snout. And it had two straps, one that went to the back of the head and one more to the, the top of the head to hold it in place real solid uh, because obviously infection, illness, and things like that were potentially life-threatening for me. So I went into the dentist. I had all my dental work done, and the orderly was gone when I got out, and I decided I'm going to walk back. I, I can remember how to get back to where I came from. And so I started down the hallway, took the elevator down to the floor that I thought it was supposed to be, and I was walking and got lost. And I found the first door that went outside. And remember, I'm dressed in a pair of boxer shorts, a t-shirt, a hospital robe, and a pair of hospital slippers. I've also got that mask on. And I've, I'm not completely bald yet from chemo, but my hair is extremely wispy and missing. Uh, my Uncle Lee used to describe me as looking like a baby bird. So thank you for that, Uncle Lee. A memory that I'll cherish forever. But anyway, as I got to the door, I opened it up, I walked outside, and it was a bright, sunny September day. Probably, I would guess, maybe 70-ish, 75 degrees. So it was a nice summer day, and there was, I walked out, and I was, I was basically walking into campus, and there were students everywhere, and they were all carrying their backpacks, and I thought, you know, I must look like some kind of crazy-ass mob boss who's trying to run from the law. I'm going to use the insanity plea because I dress in... in you know, uh, hospital robes and slippers and walk around the public like I'm a crazy man. But as I started walking through campus and trying to figure out how to get back to where I was going, I caught the eye 
of someone who I would say was extremely attractive. Now, I'm 19 years old. I'm walking through a college campus, and for a moment, I felt normal. I felt like I belonged here. I felt like these are the people that I'm supposed to be around and hanging out with. This is my age group. This is, this is the collection of people I need to be around. This is where I need to be. And I caught the eye of this one girl. And I'm telling you, she was good looking. She was very, very cute. And as I walked towards her, as I got closer towards her, you know, you kind of get that walk. You know, guys, you get it. Girls, you see the guys do it, right? They get kind of that, you know, I'm all that in a bag of chips type of, type of walk. So I got a little bit of that walk going on, right? As I'm getting closer to her, to her, she keeps looking at me and then looking down a little bit. She's got a little smile on her face. And I get closer and I get closer. And as I pass her, I look right at her. I stare her right in the eye. She looks at me. She looks down and she gives me that little face like, I feel sorry for you. And I thought, I'm different. I'm not the same 19-year-old young man with all the bravado that I had before. I'm different. I'm broken. There's something actually wrong with me. It's when I remembered I'm wearing my hospital robe, my hospital slippers, my boxer shorts, my t-shirt. I have tubes in my chest. I've got my mask on my face. I'm different. Why would somebody look at me the same way? Why would somebody see me as the potential that I always felt I had? What they see of me right now is someone who's extremely sick. Someone they may not necessarily want to be around because what if that person dies? Don't want to have my heart broken. That look that she gave me, that look affected me. And probably, as you can tell, still affects me. Because what it did is it reminded me that I am different. You know, and at that time I was different in a different way. I was broken. I was extremely sick. I wasn't sure if I was going to live. The potential for me dying was very high. Potential for me dying was higher than the potential for me living. And in that brief encounter with that person, it reinforced the issues that I was facing. And I know she didn't mean anything by it, and for me, I'm looking at it going, hey, I'm going to, you know, meet somebody here really cool. And that wasn't going to happen. But what she did is she reminded me in her own way that there was something wrong with me that I had to take care of first. And I did. You know, one of the lessons I took out of her, her look is the fact that when I see people with similar situations... I look back at them and I smile and sometimes I interact with them because I can tell you what it's like to be a patient. I can tell you what it's like to have people look at you and treat you differently because of an illness that you have. I can tell you what it's like to be frustrated because nobody will take you seriously because you're so sick. I can tell you what it's like to just want to be normal again. But as I got older, what I realized is that is normal. What I went through, the experiences that I had, the, the chemotherapy, the radiation, all the morphine, all the drugs I took, all the poking, all the prodding, everything that I went through, that is normal to me. 
we all have our own normals in our life, right? We all have a different experience. And each one of those experiences that we have helps shape us and make us who we are today. That person looking at me that day and the way she did, that person helped make me better for others in the future. And it took me a long time to understand that lesson. But what that lesson was is she helped me understand that I need to be more aware and responsive and giving and open to people who are going through struggles. Then the next piece I had to learn, which took a lot longer, is I had to learn to be vulnerable. I had to learn to share my story to help other people. And it's not an easy thing to do. There are, there are pieces and parts of my story that I will share over the next you know, months, years, whatever it is, that some are so extremely personal that there's only a handful of people in my life that know about them. And, and, there's, and they still choke me up, bring me to tears, make it difficult for me to talk, talk about. And I think it's important that we understand that <clears throat> because we all have episodes in our lives that help define us. But when we talk about definition of our life, that doesn't mean it has to shut us down or, or, or make us go down a path we don't want to go down. I remember talking to a group of kids uh, one time, a group of at-risk at teens. There was probably about four or 500 of them in this audience. And in that talk, one of the things I shared with them, because I knew they were at risk, and I told them more parts of my story than I've shared here right now. And one of the things that I told them, I said, in my life, in the things that I have gone through, in the personal experiences that I've had, I have, ev- I have had every right and excuse to go down a path that would have let me get into trouble, get into alcohol, get into drugs. But I didn't because I had more self-opinion and self-worth of myself than those thoughts and those excuses could give me. So even though I felt different that day, and even though I felt broken that day, and even though I felt like maybe there wasn't hope for me, that lesson that that young woman taught me has carried with me through my life because today I see people differently. I see their gifts. I see their potential. I see their passions. And one of the main reasons for me doing this podcast is I want you to see your gifts, your passions, and your motivations to make this world better. I don't want you to think of your stuff as burdens that weigh you down. I want, to think, I want you to think of your stuff as lessons that create a better you who creates a better us for this world, right? This is what's important. Now, you know, I, I don't know what you can do with this story, but I hope what you do with this story is appreciate the fact that you are different and there's a reason for it. And those reasons are all positive reasons. All of them. Every one of them are positive reasons. All right? Remember that. You are different, you are unique, you are special, and there's a reason for it. Your stories, your histories, those have purpose. It's up to you to figure out what that purpose is. And I hope by listening to my podcast, maybe I, I can help inspire it or motivate it or, or, or get you to feel something that, you, that you've kind of forgotten about or pushed away. And don't push it away. Remember, those feelings have a reason for being there. It's why it, it gives you kind of a, 
a message as to what you need to be doing next in your life. So with that, I'm going to leave you this week. I'm going to let you think about this. I want you to get inspired. I want you to get motivated. I want you to get out there and do something. Make a decision to do something different this week. Do something different, motivated, inspired, whatever it might be. Just do something different this week. So I will be back next week with Rash Thoughts. If you want to email me some questions or comments, feel free to do that at dean at deanrash.com. I'd be more than happy to, to read those emails and respond back to you. But until next week, keep living your life on purpose. Thank you for listening to Rash Thoughts. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and to follow Dean on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Help us change the world by liking and sharing this podcast so others can be inspired too. If your company or organization is looking for a speaker, contact Dean at dean at deanrash.com or visit his website, deanrash.com.